Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome into the Jeff Andreas Show here on Thursday, January the 30th. Thanks so much for taking the time to tune in today. Uh, looks like we got a pretty warm way to end off the week here. Looking at a high of plus 15 tomorrow. Can you believe that? I can't. I'm still uh, thinking about those minus 25, 30 temperatures from a couple of weeks ago. So to see my plus 15 in the forecast uh, to close out January, that's... Um, yeah, that's making my eyes pop out of my head a little bit. Uh, another big win for the Kamloops Blazers last night. They scored a 4-2 victory over the visiting Spokane Chiefs. Here is uh, John Keane with a call last night. Finley wins it back there. Oh, it hopped over Ty Smith's skate or stick. What a break. Smith has to go back and gather up in his own territory here. It's six on five. Goalie pole. Ty Smith wants to flip this one in now. Max Martin will turn to it and get to it in his own corner. Tie up here along the wall. Kicks it forward zero. And Sintazo, Sintazo gets it to Franklin in the empty net. Yes, Captain Zane Franklin scored in the empty net for his 26th goal of the season and 73rd point. Franklin is second in WHL scoring behind James Hamblin of the Medicine Hat Tigers, so he's really pushing for that scoring championship. Uh, with the win, Kamloops was officially able to rebound from that loss to Prince George over the weekend, which officially ended a nine-game winning streak for them. So looking to start a new streak now as they have back-to-back -back games coming up against Vancouver here this Friday and Saturday. The boys now have a nice cushy 13-point lead atop the BC division, and they sit 18 points ahead of third-place Kelowna. Yeah, how does that sound? Um, yeah, I also wanted to quickly acknowledge that uh, Kobe Bryant tribute last night during the American National Anthem. There was a nice little touching video tribute to Mamba. And I, I just thought it was a great little gesture, particularly with the Blazers' first game since Bryant's death did involve an American team coming here to visit the city. So I thought that just lined up pretty nicely, and I just wanted to acknowledge that that took place. I got a good show lined up here today. In about 10 minutes, I'll be chatting with the animal care supervisor at the BC Wildlife Park to talk a little bit about what's going on there. Yesterday, it did unveil a new x-ray machine general manager glenn grant says the forty-five thousand dollar machine will be well used as the park gets over 500 animals brought in each year the best thing about this machine is that it's portable we've got some larger animals in our collection that obviously we can't bring into the clinic to have an x-ray so this machine is portable that we can take it out into the field and take those x-rays there almost instantly as opposed to trying to bring one in or borrow one or figure out how we're going to transport an animal to get an x-ray yeah so grant says staff have already used this x-ray machine for a couple of days adding the first animal to get an x-ray was a snake. Now, that doesn't sound like the easiest animal to be able to, you know, maybe get to sit still and pose for a picture, but, you know, then again, maybe it is. The snakes don't really actually move all that much, and at the end of the day, that's probably a, a perfect uh, specimen to take a picture, an x-ray of, if you will. So I'll be talking more about that new machine uh, with the uh, uh, supervisor there, the animal care supervisor, excuse me, at the BC Wildlife Park, and we'll also get into sort of what other equipment may be on their wish list here in the near future in order to be able to perform some of those duties a little bit better and a little bit easier. Also on today's show, I'm going to be joined by Councillor Mike O'Reilly. He's coming in on the wake of yesterday's announcement regarding this new development that's coming to the city's downtown called 
The Hive. It is a major announcement and is bringing a significant new build to an area that has been largely neglected when talking about the creation of new office and retail space in the downtown. So Executive Director of the Kamloops Central Business Improvement Association, Carl DeSantis, he, he was on here earlier, or we spoke to him yesterday, and he was quite happy about this development and the fact that it was now going through. I am absolutely ecstatic about this. Uh, you know, the the support that uh, business community and the developers have received recently from city council regarding the revitalization tax exemption. Uh, it, it was the, uh, the the impetus behind this whole project going ahead right now, and it just demonstrates the confidence developers have and the business community has in our city and in our downtown. So yes, we are absolutely thrilled that uh, this project is announced so quickly uh, after the decision by council and uh, that they're going to have shovels in the ground here within the next couple of months. Yeah, so you can hear clearly from that comment that there was no coincidence about the fact that this was approved shortly after council approved that revitalization tax exemption bylaw. Um, you know, here's, here's a little bit more from Carl. I'm not really surprised at all. Uh, we, we've been part of a few conversations, uh, uh, preliminary, of course, conversations, and I knew that there was something in the works. I uh, wasn't sure what their timelines are or were, but uh, now that uh, the announcement's been made, uh, I, I, I think I can join Calgary's business community and really looking forward to what will be a wonderful addition to our downtown. I also spoke with the vice president of Invictus Properties, Brian Pilbeam, yesterday. Um, he was indicating that this development was almost, you know, dependent on that RTE coming through. It was it was a major factor in the fact that this was indeed announced yesterday. Well, we're extremely excited uh, for this project to, to finally be announced. It's something we've worked on for quite some time. And together with our project uh, uh, partners, A&T Developments, um, you know, just, just excited as, as we possibly could be to, to have this day finally here. Um, you know, our, our thanks certainly to the city and, and to council and, and having the vision to, uh, to put the RTE forward. Uh, and it's going to be a great growth opportunity for our city and I think really move it forward. Well, it was a good, it, it was a big sticking point for sure. We, um, you know, when looking at construction costs and how they've increased over the years, the, the, the feasibility of this uh, project um, wasn't really there without it. And there's a reason why there hasn't been a, a Class A office building built in more than 15 years, almost 20 years in downtown Kamloops. And, and it's just the economics simply didn't work. So um, once the RTE was passed, you know, we were able to pass that savings uh, on to um, the occupants of the building through the lease savings. And uh, at that point, it made it more affordable for them. And, um, you know, we're excited to have Urban Systems as the anchor tenant in this building. Of course, there will be those out there who say, well, what about parking? Well, yes, of course, there will be some disruption to that well-used downtown lot as a result, particularly while construction is going on. Pillbeam does try to reassure that the developers are well aware of parking potentially being an issue, and they are planning to build some underground lots to help alleviate any issues when it comes to the volume of cars that might be looking to park in the downtown area. It was a key piece in our plans. At this point, we have two levels of parking going in. Underground parking is very expensive to build, but we think it's a necessary piece. And as we've gone through the entire vision of the entire um, business park, I think that will be there. We'll be mindful of the needs of parking. Uh, it will get pinched a little bit, certainly as the construction process happens until the business is open. Yeah, parking. Always, always a sticky subject when talking about any development, it seems. Um, and it's not just this city. This is all cities. It seems to be a, whenever you're talking about any kind of development and a new building being somewhere, it's always where are the people who are going to go there? 
where will they park? It always seems to be something that uh, that creeps up. You know, you take away a parking spot and people just come out of the shadows to tell you why it's a bad move and complain about the fact that there isn't enough parking already. And I don't doubt that that will be a concern and this will result in a bit of an annoyance for some who do work in the city center and, and do rely on some of those parking spots in order to be able to, you know, have their vehicle downtown and, and be able to sit it there over the course of a work day. Any loss of parking is going to be an issue. But, um, you know, it is something that I think, uh, you know, the city is clearly working on a parking strategy. So these kinds of things will all be taken care of in time, and it's probably a good thing that this development be, does be announced uh, before the uh, approval of that parking strategy. So these new uh, office spaces can be taken into account because it is obviously going to bring more people, or I would assume anyway, that it is going to bring more people to the downtown, more people to work in the area than already do. So it just makes sense that uh, parking will be something that will come up, and that parking strategy will definitely be an important part of, of how this whole development kind of works out. At least I think it will. We'll find out as, as time rolls on. So the plan for, is for phase one to be completed by late 2021. So the first building is planned for the corner of 5th and Lansdowne. And the plan is for construction to begin this spring. So it seems like a pretty ambitious timeline to me when we're talking about starting this spring and have the building complete by late 2021. Um, but... I mean, it's not a bad thing to be ambitious. I, I do, don't want to be stirring or starting a construction zone or personally, sorry, let me say that again. I don't want to be staring at a construction zone for any longer than I have to. So the fact that they are looking at a fairly quick build, I think is pretty nice when we're talking about what the downtown will look like. Uh, no one wants to look at construction taking place. So with all of that said, we'll be talking more about this whole development with Councillor Michael Riley at around the 35 minute mark of today's show. And to end things off today, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the issue of accessible taxis. Earlier this week, BC taxi companies threatened to stop subsidizing accessible vehicles as their dispute with ride-hailing companies continues. That, of course, could be a significant problem for many vulnerable people who rely on accessible taxis as a way to get around. Accessible taxis, of course, are more expensive to operate than standard vehicles. Um, you know, you have to retrofit them. So I understand why cab companies would have some concern with the fact that they have to be bylaw compliant and have so many accessible vehicles in their fleet, whereas Uber and Lyft are not obligated to have any accessible vehicles on the road. So I understand, you know, sort of the argument that's being made here, but I have a real issue with the way that it is being presented. Um, it, it doesn't feel, it almost feels a little bit offensive, to be honest, the fact that they're saying, well, if these guys don't have to provide accessible cabs, then we won't either. Um, you know, this feels like an opportunity for them to say, you know, we have these services available, something that these other groups don't have um, this is why you know we are the superior option or or you know there's a number of ways they could have went about making this argument but basically saying well if you don't have to then we shouldn't either i think that's the wrong way to go about uh, bringing up this point so I'll be talking more with the local accessibility advocate um, about that at the end of today's show. So stick around. we got a lot of good stuff coming up here on the Jeff Andrea Show over the next 40 minutes here. So please stick around. Uh, we're going to be talking with the BC Wildlife Park about their new x-ray machine and what other new technologies might be on their wish list to uh, improve the way they care for animals there. I'll be talking more about that after this. Opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. 
Welcome back to the program here on Thursday the 30th. Thanks so much for tuning in. The BC Wildlife Park has a new x-ray machine and it also has some other items on its wish list as uh, things it would like to see in order to help improve animal care at the park moving forward. Here to talk a little bit more about what's happening and what some future goals include is the animal care supervisor at the BC Wildlife Park, Tracy Reynolds. Tracy, thank you so much for taking the time here. No problem at all. So let me just start by looking back here at this new x-ray machine, which uh, it was uh, unveiled yesterday, a $45,000 piece of equipment. Just uh, first and foremost, how important is this machine going to be for the animals that you help look after? Definitely is an invaluable tool um, to us. We're pretty excited to have it. It allows us to uh, get immediately results of the animals that come into our rehab, for instance. Um, we can immediately have a look and see what's going on, whereas before we would have to you know, move into a, a off-site to a, a vet clinic. Yeah, so that could probably take quite a bit of time then if you had to move them somewhere, especially if you're talking about some bigger animals. I imagine that was quite the challenge at some times. <laughs> We're pretty fortunate and like we have a pretty good relationship with most of the vet clinics here and they would come out for some of our larger animals, but the smaller ones, it would require us to go into town. And that's just an odd, a lot of added stress that the animal doesn't need, especially when it's something like a wild animal coming in here to our rehab facility. And we would pick and choose the animals we would x-ray you know only the most um ones we really suspected a break whereas other times we suspect one but we would just wait and see now we can get that answer immediately yeah i'm sure that makes a big difference for uh you know just being able to heal them up properly um how important yeah. was it that this machine be portable that you could bring it from you know animal to animal without having to bring them to the machine uh, well, super important, especially for us because we have such large animals here in the park. Um, it, I, you know, a bison is there's no other way to do that, but to bring the machine to the animal. And, and luckily here we have fairly we do a lot of training with our animals, so uh, I think we can do a lot of this kind of X-raying voluntarily as well. So it's a lot less stress. Yeah, I think this is pretty cool, and, and it definitely sounds like a big improvement for the way you'll be able to go about, um, you know, taking care of animals and just knowing a little yep. bit quicker what's going on with them. Uh, is there a lot of people at the park, or, you know, how many people at the park are actually trained to use this type of machine? Um, for us, it'll probably, it's a fairly simple machine to use, but for us, probably just three people will be trained on it, which is our, our veterinary department, our vet, and our veterinary technician, and myself, um, and then with the assistance of the keepers as well. Very cool. Um, moving on, I guess, you know, now that you got this machine, uh, it took about a year from what I understand, right, to raise the $45,000 in order to be able to purchase this. So what, what's next on the hit list here for the Wildlife Park? What other, you know, items are on your wish list that you would like to see in order to be able to improve care for animals? So for this year, the big uh, fundraising campaign we have is for a hoofstock quarantine um, this is, well, we need a large pen that is separate from our collection, like separate from out in the park where people see, where we, so we can bring in new animals. Um, this is essential for us to be able to bring in, like, new large hoofstock, a new bison, for instance. Uh, we would have to then quarantine it for at least 30 days, and that keeps the rest of our population here safe. We don't want to be introducing any um, diseases, so that's something we absolutely require to get new animals here at the park. What, what exactly does that quarantine look like? Could you describe it for me? Because I'm having a, a little bit of a difficult time picturing <laughs> sounds, exactly what it looks like. It sounds basically, it sounds sort of like, it's, not, it's basically another pen that we have that's in the back that's just separate enough from our collection that it would keep our collection safe. And it's more how we deal with the animals when they do come into quarantine that we, um, that quarantines them. So everything is separate and we don't have anything transferred over into animals in the park. 
Okay, that makes sense. So uh, when we're talking about looking for a new quarantine, I guess how much is that going to cost? How much money will you guys be looking to raise in order to pay for that project? Well, I know for this year, just um, looking at our fencing of that pen alone, it's going to be upwards of $25,000. And we need to have some handling equipment in there so we are able to safely move the animals in and out of the pens, like a chute, like a hoofstock, large hoofstock chute that loads them in and out of a, a trailer so we can then move them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we will ha- want to have a building within there, and again, that will be another—I oh, don't even know—forty thousand, perhaps. Okay, so so, uh, so this is uh, an extended fundraising campaign that you'll look to launch here, exactly. and that, or have you guys already launched it? Uh, I think we've started just looking into uh, launching a, a, it for like looking into grants and things like that. Okay. So seeing what we can get available to us, and then we will officially start fundraising as well. Perfect. So that's on tap for this year. I guess, you know, if you were to be able to get anything you wanted, I guess, what else, I mean, would the, the park design? <laughs> oh, the list is huge. But, we, yeah, we have quite a list. Um, of course, any kind of more surgical monitoring equipment is always needed. We could use an ultrasound or a Doppler. We always need new scales for weighing our animals, and we need such a variety from, like, the smallest little bird up to a bear. Um, we could use, you know... Just the infrastructure of the park is always needing things like we would like to get some paving done this year. So there's so many projects, of course. Yeah, so that wish list is a couple of pages long anyway, at least, eh? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And the more you ask, the more we put on it. (laughs) For sure, for sure. Um, Makes perfect sense. Uh, Just when we're talking about scales, I guess, you know, you said, um, you know, you guys need quite a few of them. Um, You know, is that something, it doesn't sound like when you say a scale something to weigh something, doesn't sound like it should be uh, too difficult or too expensive anyway to acquire, um, you know, just sort of curious what you're looking at when talking about a very wide range of scales is there a wide range of price tags attached to those as well yeah, i think r- roughly the scales that we were looking at range from about a hundred and something you know in the hundreds of dollars to about six hundred dollars so they're not too much but it adds up so and we need we need a several so right now we do have a, a couple scales but uh they're kind of cumbersome to move around so uh we don't have them at every enclosure which is what we would like we would like to be able to weigh all of our animals it's a really integral part of monitoring how they're doing by being able to weigh them makes perfect sense to me well tracy that's about all i have for questions for you right now anything else you want to throw on the table while i have you here Uh, no just a big thank you to everyone for helping us get this x-ray machine we are so excited and we couldn't have done it without the support of everyone even just you know from someone just giving us twenty dollars to you know the larger donations that all added up to to make that difference and get get that to that forty thousand dollar mark awesome well i'm glad that all worked out and, and hopefully it comes in in good handy here moving forward i have no doubts that it will so thanks so much for taking the time tracy well, really you. appreciate it thanks okay bye bye that was uh, tracy reynolds the uh, with the BC Wildlife Park, she is the animal care supervisor there. So talking about their new x-ray machine and also some other things that are on their wish list here moving forward. No shortage of items that could be useful to the BC Wildlife Park. So take a second to think about donating there. Well, uh, coming up next, I'm going to be talking more about the Hive, this brand new development coming to downtown Kamloops. It's a pretty significant one. I'll be joined by Councillor Michael Riley after this. Listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back here on Thursday the 30th. Thanks so much for tuning in. A major redevelopment project has been proposed now for downtown Kamloops, or announced, I guess, now would be the right term. It's called The Hive, and we'll see three new buildings with retail and office space built along Lansdowne Street between 5th and 6th Avenues. 
That's currently, of course, a parking lot located behind the Delta Hotel, but soon it will be a lot more than that. Here to talk about this is Kamloops City Councilor Mike O'Reilly. Mike, thanks so much for coming in. Morning. Thanks for having me, Jeff. So let me just start by, uh, you know, just this announcement. I mean, it's pretty significant to move here for Kamloops. I mean, just excited to bring this thing here to, to our city. Yeah, you know, I'm glad that you said exciting development for Kamloops. Um, it, yeah, certainly this is located in downtown Kamloops, but this will benefit the, the city as a whole. And uh, it, it's exciting news uh, for, for everybody that lives here and uh, looking forward to, uh, to hopefully getting um, this development going. And, I mean, it's clearly no coincidence that this was announced, you know, 24 hours after that RTE was formalized by City Council on Tuesday. Well, you know, what I can tell you is, you know, there's maybe six or seven uh, developments similar to this that have been in the books and the works for a long time. Uh, they didn't come up with this plan last night and and brought it forward. Uh, this is something that's been worked on for three, four, five years, and uh, and the decision by council um, last on Tuesday um, allowed this project to go from a yellow light to a green light. And I do expect many more in the downtown on the north and on the north shore uh, to take advantage of this program. So when looking at this specific development and some of the other ones that you mentioned might be coming online here in the near future, I mean, how long have some of these conversations been going on for? I, I don't know how much detail you can get into. But but just curious, you know, how long some of these discussions have been happening? Well, I can tell you when I worked at Venture Camloops, uh, which was a little bit uh, around a, over a decade ago, uh, Brian Pilbeam, uh, who was partner at uh, mm -hmm. Hotel 540, uh, he had been talking about getting a new office building being built on their site there. Uh, so that gives you an idea of how long these discussions have been going on. And, uh, and it's nice to see something come to fruition. Um, this is a really significant project, too. I mean, this isn't just one small building. We're talking three buildings that are going to be built over the course of a number of years, but that first one, of course, to be built uh, starting this spring, uh, shovels in the ground this spring, and then hopefully have it completed by end of 2021. Um, when we're talking about this, something this significant and, and just how many buildings it is going to be and talking about a step-by-step -step process, I mean, uh, are we looking at, uh, you know, a lot of uh, ugly construction, I guess, here downtown for a long time, or do you think this could be something that, uh, you know, will, will look nice in phases? I, I mean, anything phased in is a good thing because, um, you know, you fill out one building and then mm -hmm. when that's filled, you build the next one and you get anchor tenants um, and that's all part of a development process. But if you look at what's kind of going on in the downtown as a whole, um, if uh, the referendum passes for uh, the Center for the Arts, that's two blocks away um, for another major construction project. We have Royal Inland Hospital that'll be under construction for uh, the better part of two to three years. Um, so there will be a lot of construction in, in the core area of downtown, uh, but that's a sign of growth and there always a is a bit of short-term pain for long-term gain. And I mean, it's taken a long time when we're talking, you know, 17, 18 years or whatever it was between development what was the last one, 2007, I think it was. So 13, over 13 years since any real major development in the downtown um, and, and yeah, the RTE announced and then this comes forward. I mean, um, are we looking at major growth here, I guess, as a result when we're talking about the number of people that are going to be coming into the city as a result of this? Are you expecting a lot of new businesses to come and want that office space as well? Yes. And, and, and new jobs new good paying jobs uh, and you know when these new jobs come in this is helping diversify our economy and as we've been seeing in the forestry sector you know diversification is key um, and uh, having these long-term stable jobs uh, will be key for camels to stay uh, consistent uh, with growth over the coming years absolutely 
And and when we're looking at a downtown parking lot that this is going to be mm -hmm. built on, I mean, this is always something that people like to talk about is the issue around parking, right? I mean, every time any sort of new building goes up, it's where are the people going to park who are going to be using that facility. Um, you know, I, I know council's working on a parking strategy, and so it's probably actually a good thing that this gets announced before that parking strategy is completed so it can kind of work all of these developments in. Um, but just, I mean, can you quash some uh, concerns that people might have when it comes to the parking issue here? Well, I mean, if, if you look around on the downtown, Town core and, and there's empty parking lots throughout, right? You don't buy land in downtown Kamloops to own a parking lot forever. You buy it to develop, and these lots will develop. Um, the hive that's being constructed, they've actually announced that they're going to have two floors of underground parking, yeah. um, which is huge. They don't have to do that. They don't have to provide that based on our current bylaws, uh, but they are. Um, again, the parking study that will be coming out, I believe it'll be June or July, um, will actually take into consideration the amount of parking uh, spots that will be lost over the next 5, 10, and 20 years, um, and also the demand that will be created with the new businesses and mm -hmm. jobs that will be here. Uh, and that's important to give us a little bit of a roadmap so that we can plan five and ten years into the future. Um, but, you know, right now, the, I think it's important for us to get the, the numbers and that data. Um, one question I did have when it comes to, you know, just kind of how the process rolled out, you know, being that council was discussing this revitalization tax exemption for some time, and then when the time was announced, you know, pretty quickly a, a development is announced right afterwards. So I'm just curious sort of, um, you know, what, what kind of came first here? Was it businesses and developers saying, you know, we, we kind of want to look at Kamloops as a place to build, but we need a, another incentive to feel comfortable doing that? Or was council, you know, kind of in the driver's seat trying to say, we want you to come and, and we'll do this for you? You know, the the fact is that Kamloops was, and I say was because it changed on Tuesday, was one of only two cities in all of in all of British Columbia that did not have a tax incentive program for new commercial construction in their core areas. Uh, you know, this puts us on a level playing field, and uh, and it allows uh, businesses to relocate um, and and uh, to expand and grow. You know, if if we look at, at uh, the tenant that they have in their urban systems. Urban Systems is a Kamloops success story. Um, they have grown and to the point that they needed more space where they are. And if they can't grow in Kamloops, they'll find somewhere else to do it. Uh, so I am very happy that they have found a new home and that we can keep their head office for, for all of Canada in Kamloops. Uh, but they require, and these big head offices demand a quality office space. Uh, they're more environmentally friendly, they're open concept, uh, they're green buildings. You know, when, when these uh, head offices are looking at their carbon footprint and try and reduce their... Uh, their carbon, uh, you know, if they want green buildings. And right now, Camus does not have that. And we are being passed over by multiple businesses uh, throughout uh, the province and, and Canada that are looking to relocate. And and with that uh, point in mind, I just was curious too, now that you bring it up, you know, when look, looking at businesses that are currently housed here, um, I know there's a, a big switch in our economy, the way it's kind of going from big industrial properties and, and, and businesses. And we're kind of shifting towards this more tech sector, right? A lot of smaller businesses that exist with, you know, fewer employees and things along those lines. Um, are, is there not enough space to keep some of those companies around? I mean, if we're talking about new startups that are hopefully going to have some success here in Kamloops, and then once they do get their business up and running, I mean, I guess there's probably not a lot of opportunity for them to find new space. So, I mean, how critical is this to maintaining and, and, and keeping businesses here in the city? Yeah, well, you know, if you look at, at these tech startups, which again, helping diversify our economy. Um, but uh, if you look at ITEL Networks, right, they started as a small startup with two or three employees. They've grown to over a hundred. 
Mm -hmm. um, and they they came to council today, I believe it was about three or four years ago, and said, we need to grow and expand. There is nowhere for us to go in Kamloops, but are we, can we go in this office space, uh, you know, that didn't have the current zoning? And council today said, yes, we'll allow you to go in a place that we don't necessarily want you to go, but we want the jobs to stay in Kamloops. Right. And, and that's kind of what happens. And, uh, and so hopefully this will allow uh, more companies to expand and grow in Kamloops. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to see that as well. Um, any idea what, I don't know exactly how, um, you know, specifically involved you are in this project and just how it's going to kind of roll out. Uh, do you have any ideas sort of what the phasing looks like when it comes to this project right now? I, I know nothing. Okay. I, you know, I, I have fair. no involvement in the project yeah. other than, you know, part of my, uh, my campaign platform was to help get a revitalization tax exemption for commercial buildings. And, and what I can say is this wasn't my vote. This was council voted on this. This was, this was uh, you know, it was, I believe it was uh, off the top of my head, it was a 6-2 vote mm -hmm. um, in favor. So you have a 75% of council, and council made this decision um, that we wanted to invest in, and it's a long-term play. Um, you know, this isn't something that council made the decision because we're going to see the benefit today. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a long-term play for the economy and the future of Camus to grow and develop, and, and I'm so proud of the council team to, to come to the table and, uh, and I'll get on that. Yeah, I did talk to Brian Pilbeam about this a little bit yesterday as well, and he did say that, uh, you know, once this first development or first uh, phase is complete, it's sort of a by demand how this thing's going to roll out. So I'm just curious if you had maybe any idea sort of what that might look like, but, you, you know, you're not uh, directly involved in it, so it's totally fair that you wouldn't have an answer to that. Yeah, and I can say any new development anywhere in the city is all based on demand. For sure. Makes perfect sense. Um, that's about all I have for you right now, Mike. Anything else you want to add while I have you in here? I'm uh, just obviously excited about uh, potential here for, for some new businesses, for uh, a lot of new space, and really it's going to pretty up the downtown too with some new, brand new buildings. Yeah, you know, and it will it will help grow our downtown core to the Memorial Arena area, and, and that's kind of been the plan for a long time, and uh, and, and we want that to happen and continue growing uh, east, and, and this is, uh, is going to allow that to happen. And uh, just on that point too, I guess, you know, how critical is it to have these kinds of developments in places like the downtown or like the North Shore where a lot of business already exists, right? We're not looking to, to continue to build out. That might be the case residentially, but when it comes to businesses, it's pretty important to make sure they're actually in the city itself. Yeah, and you know, we have, we have piles and piles of plans throughout the city, the downtown plan, the North Shore plan, the, uh, our OCP, and they all say that the office jobs should be in the downtown core and the North Shore core. And, and this really helps to, to allow that to come to fruition. Yeah, and it's obviously important for those businesses to be located there and important for the businesses that already exist in order to get that added clientele that comes as a result of bringing more people to those areas. Yes, exactly. Well, thanks so much for coming in, Mike. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, this is the first time I've had you on, but uh, we'll definitely get you back here at some point. Well, it only took us, what, 15 months to get me in here, so we'll see you <laughs> another 15 months. We'll go so from there. Sounds good. That was Camloop uh, City Council. Councillor Mike O'Reilly. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about the issue of accessible taxis. Uh, the BC Taxi Association has threatened to uh, stop providing accessible taxis as they continue their fight with ride-hailing companies like Uber and Lyft. I'll be talking more about that after this. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
Welcome back to the show here on Thursday. Accessible taxis, an important service for many individuals and something that some rely on as a means of transportation. Well, earlier this week, BC taxi companies threatened to stop subsidizing accessible vehicles as their dispute with ride-hailing companies continues to move forward. Here now to talk about what I feel is a ridiculous threat is a local accessibility advocate, Jessica Vliegenhardt. Jessica, thanks so much for coming back on the show here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, how are you doing here today? I'm great. Good. Glad to hear it. Um, so let's yeah, just kind of get into this ridiculous threat, as I like to put it. I mean, when you first heard that BC taxi companies were threatening to stop subsidizing accessible vehicles, what was your initial reaction to that? Well, my initial reaction was honestly a, a bit more of, oh, no, here we go. Uh, this just got even more complicated because it, it's a bigger problem than just the taxi companies, to be honest. It's, it's a problem with ride sharing in general um, because both Uber and Lyft have um, no requirements to provide any kind of accessible vehicles. So, and we all know the, the big uh, friction that exists between taxi, existing taxi companies and these new ride hailing services coming in. So the taxi companies are going, well, if they don't have to do it, then we don't have to do it. And it's, it's uh, a bit wild to me that they're, uh, well, we don't know what's going to happen with the taxi companies and the government just yet, but it's a bit wild to me that the government is even uh, sort of allowing this to occur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I, get the, I get the argument here, right, from the taxi companies when we're saying, you know, uh, accessible cabs are more expensive to operate than standard vehicles. Um, you know, they're probably not used as frequently. Um, you know, they have to be retrofitted, so obviously they cost more just to uh, obtain in the first place. But, I mean, at the same point in time, I mean, just how critical is it to have these kinds of services available? I mean, you know, obviously there's a, a, the bus that people can take if they, you know, are having uh, in, in need of an accessible vehicle. You can take transit. But, like, outside of that, I mean, what kind of options are you left with? It's, it's incredibly important to have these accessible taxi uh, services um, or, an, I mean, ideally in a perfect world, accessible ride-hailing services. Um, anyone who's ever tried to take a handy dart anywhere knows the incredible challenge that it is. Um, when I first uh, injured myself, I, I had a spinal cord injury in 2004. Um, I didn't get my driver's license um, for close to a year after that injury and attempted to make use of the handy dart service. And it was, it was next to impossible to get where you needed to go in any kind of normal time frame. And I'm, and I'm saying, you know, if I had a doctor's appointment at noon, they would say, well, we'll be there to pick you up at 8.30 in the morning and we'll get you home by 6 p.m., and for a lot of people with disabilities, that, that's not something they can manage. You know, they've got their, they've have symptoms of their disability that makes that impossible. And that's the same issue that a lot of them, or, or we do, have with transit. Um, you know, if you have weakness or fatigue or pain that you're dealing with, taking transit can be really limiting. And uh, sometimes cabs, accessible wheelchair accessible cabs, are literally the only way for people to get to very important doctor's appointments to get to work, that kind of thing. And when those services don't exist, um, people with disabilities become housebound. 
and their health outcomes plummet. It's it's a real concern. Yeah, that sounds uh, like a really challenging situation for anyone to be in. Um, you know, I don't think there's any person out there that can really afford to just take 12 or 13 hours out of their day to go see the doctor. I mean, people do it when it comes to emergency room visits and stuff like that, but it's, uh, it's definitely not ideal. It's not something anybody should have to deal with, uh, let alone when you have uh, probably a half-hour appointment and it's going to take you 12 hours out of your day to go about uh, seeing the doctor. Uh, I think that's a real concern if, if that was the only uh, mode of transportation that was left was to use uh, handy dart or, or accessible transit vehicles. Um, I guess with that in mind, I mean, is, is there any fear that, um, you know, when we're looking at ride-hailing companies now starting to come into the province, that that could push taxi companies out eventually and that would, in fact, you know, basically eliminate these kinds of accessible vehicles? Yeah, certainly in the disabled population, this is this is very high on people's radars um, because looking to the states and the experiences with Uber and Lyft there, um, it's been very challenging for people who use wheelchairs to get picked up by ride-hailing companies. And this is even for people uh, like myself who can easily transfer into, you know, quote-unquote, a regular vehicle. Um, we've, we've had experiences where, you know, an, an Uber shows up, but then they see the customer in a wheelchair and they drive off and when you follow up with uber you get sort of the rote response of you know we're looking into it and it never goes anywhere so there have already been numerous examples of, of customers with disabilities being left stranded with really no repercussion to the driver and because of that there's a there's a huge amount of concern because again as you pointed out accessible vehicles are very expensive uh, they take time when you are a driver and you are picking up somebody in a wheelchair. Um, there's a certain amount of time that goes into strapping that wheelchair down, loading, unloading. And so just the numbers don't make sense unless there's a subsidy there. You know, a, a, a driver driving an accessible vehicle can probably do five trips to um, a driver driving a regular sedan doing ten so the drivers in the inaccessible vehicles make more money, full stop. Um, I mean, I'm guessing there probably hasn't been much uh, bandied about in terms of a solution yet at this point. But I mean, have you have you heard of anyone sort of kind of come up with a way to to make sure that there is, uh, you know, a. a, a uh, a reliable fleet of accessible vehicles on the road. I mean, it seems difficult to, to think you can rely on cab companies moving forward just if they are making these threats and, and who knows what's going to happen here in the future and, and you're looking at Uber and Lyft that are not obligated to have these vehicles on the road. Um, I, I just don't know what uh, you know the solution out there might be. I, hopefully there's a, a little bit of time here to figure it out, um, but uh, you know, has that been discussed in your circles at all? So what I have, what I understand the province is doing is they have set a thirty cent fee per trip um, for the the ride hailing services coming in, and that thirty cents per trip is going to be put into some kind of accessibility fund. But there's no details. We're we're not sure what that looks like. Um, we don't we have no idea what that means. Um, and and so without those details being public, there's a lot of anxiety out there that these services, uh, accessible cab services, are going to be eliminated because, um, as, as we've said, those vehicles are very expensive. Like a, a fully kitted out wheelchair accessible van with a ramp is easily eighty to $90,000, mm -hmm. you know, compared to, you know, a Toyota Prius, which is, what, 30? So, so there's, 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 a, there's going to be a gap. And 
it's going to be really interesting to see how the province steps in to ensure that people with disabilities aren't left stranded. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an issue that, uh, you know, hopefully there is a solution to in the near future, or at least we hear of one. You say there's 30 cents for every ride-hailing fee that's going to go towards making sure accessible vehicles are on the road. And if you don't have the details on that, I'm sure the province doesn't have those details yet either. So we'll see what comes at, uh, at some point. Hopefully we'll hear about it in the near future. But uh, we're out of time here, Jessica, but I really appreciate you taking the time to come on my show. Um, yeah, you pr always provide some, some good insight here, so I really uh, thank you for, for taking the time. Thanks for thinking of me, Jeff. Anytime. Awesome. That was uh, Jessica Vliegenhardt, a local accessibility champion here in the city of Kamloops. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I'd like to thank all my guests for joining me. And, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me here for a short while or a long while, just know that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.